Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. I am with Marco Couturi. Marco is a professor of statistics at Université Paris-Saclay. Ah, Université Paris-Saclay is yeah, you, you how know. I should say it. You perfectly. Um, uh, Marco, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, so why don't we get started by having you tell us a little bit about your background. Now, you're coming at things from a stats perspective, um, but applying them to the world of machine learning and AI. How did you... Yeah, yeah. Combine these interests. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I'm. Um, so here we are at NIPS. So I might maybe start with that. Uh, I've been coming at NIPS for about uh, I think twelve years, maybe since I was oh, a wow. PhD student. And you haven't missed any? Uh, oh no, I have missed a few right okay. in the middle. But let's say I've I've probably been here more often than not during those years. Okay. So uh, probably maybe seven times, something like that. And uh, my, my background is, uh, so as you mentioned, uh, I have more of a mathematical training in statistics, maybe a little bit of CS. It's a blend of everything because I come from a French uh, grande école. So those are universities that try to give you a pretty general training. And uh, when I was a PhD student, I was interested in machine learning already. Okay. I was doing bioinformatics. I mean, trying to do bioinformatics with some <laughs> mathematical tools. And then I kept from there and I did a bit of finance. I worked also in the, in the financial industry for a short while and worked as a, as a lecturer in the U.S. for a while as well. You said uh, an actor? Uh, sorry, as a lecturer. Lecturer, okay. That, sorry, no, <laughs> it's not, not as exotic. No, no, definitely more. So I was, I, was in, I was in Princeton for a while and then I worked, um, I worked in Japan as well for a long time. I was a professor there for six years. And then just one year ago, actually, I came back to France. Okay. So I looped back to France. Uh, and uh, yes, as you said, my my training is more in maths. So I'm more interested in the, how can you say, well-behaved, well-posed problems, mathematical problems that we can think of and uh, try to apply them and make them work in, in actually the messy setting of uh, you know real data, etc. Okay. And so one of those uh, one of those mathematical tools that you're working on now is called optimal transport. And in fact, you're doing a or you did yeah. a tutorial on that here at NIPS. What is optimal transport? Yeah, so it's been a bit my uh, how can you say my the main subject of research for me <clears throat> for about uh, maybe three four years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, I was uh, so maybe if, if you if you see NIPS through the years. Uh, you know, there's waves of technologies and ideas and methods that come by, and mm-hmm. and so one of them was kernel methods, and that was when I was a PhD student. Okay, and then it started receding when deep learning exploded. Okay, boomed, and then I, I well, I had this an interest for this for this theory for a while. The theory dates back to the 18th century. It was developed by, by a French mathematician. It's very intuitive concepts, but for a while this was not there was no real progress. Mm-hmm. And then uh, this was rediscovered in the 20th century by a, by a Russian mathematician called Kantorovich. And he got a Nobel Prize, actually, uh, in oh, the wow. 70s in economics for, for work on this, on this theory. And then more recently, there's a, also a very f- famous French mathematician. You might know him. He's now, uh, he was recently elected um, uh, like in the Congress, in the French Congress. And he also got the Fields Medal, which, you know, is like the, the biggest achievement prize you can get in mathematics. His mm-hmm. name is Cédric Villani. And so this is a 
really beautiful theory that's, that's, that many mathematicians have been investigating for, for the last decades. And uh, yeah, I think recently we made some progress on the numerical side, computational side, mm-hmm. and this can become very relevant uh, in machine learning. So across those three, four years, we, we, we've seen a wave of papers that have, uh, I think, uh, brought forward, proved a bit that this was useful. And now the tutorial was a way to, to showcase a bit uh, all, all that progress. Okay. So for someone who's not familiar with optimal transport, what is it and yeah. what is it trying to achieve? Yeah, so I, let's just break it down in, in you know, two words, right? Okay. It's optimal and transport. So what do we mean by transport? <laughs> transport is actually, it really dates back to very simple idea of, of transporting goods from where we produce them to where we need them. Okay. And typically, of course, if you only have, let's say, one mine and one factory, then there's no, not many questions you should ask. I mean, you just bring whatever the mine produces and you bring it to the factory mm-hmm. to, to transform it into some other goods. But now suppose that you have a map and you have a lot of mines everywhere in the, on the map and they, are pro- they all produce this you know, uh, raw resource in different quant- quantities. Mm-hmm. And then you have factories all over the map as well. And they all need that resource to, 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 for them to keep on producing uh, final goods. Mm-hmm. And the question is how you move you know, those, those, those resources around in an optimal way, in a cheap way. So it's, a, okay. it's really related to a deep problem you know, in operations research or just industrial pro- problem, which is uh, optimally move things. Mm-hmm. And this was the reason why this really boomed as a theory in World War II is that this is probably when really we had, we had a bottleneck. A lot of stuff to move. <laughs> <laughs> we had a lot of stuff to move, and really, we really wanted to be optimal. It was right. not just a matter of profits or trying to squeeze more money or anything. Right. This was just vital. Right. You would have to. There were some, you know, front lines. You would need ten thousand soldiers there, twenty soldiers there, twenty thousand soldiers there, etc. Mm-hmm. And then you had them in another place, another location, and you really had to find out very quickly what was the best way to do that. And so. Unfortunately, I mean, during World War II, I guess none of those techniques actually were used, but they, that situation triggered a lot of thinking. Mm-hmm. And that's why Kantorovich and actually other people here in the US as well, Hitchcock, Kubmans, there's lots of names that are associated with this, with this problem. And then this was really a topic that was mostly investigated by people in operations research. Mm-hmm. But then gradually, this idea of transporting things in an optimal way also found applications in, for instance, um, in physics. Like you would try to guess how a distribution of gas would slowly evolve towards another distribution of gas. I mean, there's many, many different settings where you're basically trying to compare those two things, like uh, the probability distribution of what what you have and the probability distribution of what you would like to get Mm -hmm. and how to transform it optimally. And so this is why mathematicians got interested in that. And from our point of view, basically it boils down to the following thing. This idea of optimal transport provides a a fresh way to look at what we call probability distributions. Mm -hmm. Probability distribution is basically quantifying how things are likely to happen. Mm -hmm. They also quantify basically um, where we observe data. What kind of images do we observe in the real world, right? We don't observe just any kind of image. We observe images with a certain structure. And so those observations form a probability distribution. And we try to come up with probability distributions of the world, which are we, as modelers, is what we can do. And we try to compare them. And this is where the theory is actually useful. Hmm. And so I'll... um... Stick with this background question. Yeah. Um, 
Is the implication then in the in the context of World War II, <laughs> like they were probably probabilistically modeling troop movements as opposed to determine? I would imagine that to be well, more deterministic. Well, so like I'm going to yeah, move no, these troops from yeah, so, A to so B yeah, as opposed so, so yeah, to. You have a very good point. So here, let, let me just tell you. Uh, I mean, how how you could see, imagine probabilistic uh, troop movements. Mm -hmm. Imagine you have front line A and front line B, mm -hmm. and you need ten thousand soldiers at A and, and B, okay? Mm -hmm. Because somewhat the enemy is coming, so you really need 10,000 guys there and 10,000 guys there. Mm -hmm. Suppose you have two <coughs> barracks, each mm -hmm. with 10,000 soldiers. Mm -hmm. okay? So a very naive way would be to, let's say, send, send all the 10,000 soldiers of the barrack one to frontline A, mm -hmm. 10,000 soldiers from barrack two to frontline B, mm -hmm. okay? So there's no real probabilistic uh, thing, right. There, right? It's just everyone goes there and then everyone goes there. This sounds great, but mm -hmm. imagine that, I don't know, for some reason you're a bit suspicious that maybe some something might happen to 10,000 soldiers that are sent through just one road. Mm -hmm. So one thing you might try to do is split those 10,000 into five and five, mm -hmm. and the other barrack also is split into five and five. Mm -hmm. And so you send simultaneously 5,000 soldiers to each each of the front lines. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? Yeah, so now you've got four routes. Exactly. Instead of you one. have four people moving, four groups of people, four right. groups of 5,000 people moving around. So it's not clear you gain a lot by doing that, right? Because somewhat maybe if barrack one was very close to front line A and barrack two was very close to front line B, then you're actually asking people to cross basically over and right. have this right. much longer trip, right? But what you've gained is that you have something of maybe this, this is where maybe the probabilistic aspects can be seen like each soldier basically from back one had chance one over two to go to A or B or on the other hand if you want to just stick to the optimal plan you mm -hmm. would just send them directly to the closest right. line right is what you're trying to model probabilistically the you know the chance that they'd actually get there like the the danger of their route or well, some kind this of is, this is something that you might have in mind to actually actually choose the one where they split into two instead of just going directly to the best possible, uh, I mean, the shortest, basically, uh, frontline point. Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying is that um, when, you are, when you have to distribute uh, resources in a network like this mm -hmm. from a, a starting point to an ending point, mm -hmm. um, well, sometimes you can find that the best possible way, cheapest possible way, is to do this a bit deterministically, as you, as you imply. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's no probability you just send everyone to the best possible route mm -hmm. but you could add some little fuzziness mm -hmm. so you know what maybe in case there's a problem with that route you know right. maybe this breaks down this bridge breaks down if this bridge breaks down maybe no one will get to front line b and then i'm really in a mess right mm -hmm. uh, so to 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 hedge a bit yourself you might want to choose something that's a bit more fuzzy a bit more probabilistic okay and on the other hand if you really go towards the most like the fuzziest possible way to do this, where you split everyone equally, right. and you see that there's a problem because you're paying a very high cost usually mm -hmm. in terms of travel. Right. Because maybe maybe front line B is like 100 miles away, front line A is maybe 10 miles away from, from the back one, mm -hmm. and you're actually asking for the half of your troops to, to, to walk those 100 miles. Right. right? So see, there's, this, uh, there's a trade-off somewhat in terms mm -hmm. of uh, robustness. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, you would like to do what's cheap, on the right. other hand, adding a little bit of fuzziness makes it a bit more robust against any problem that might occur. Mm -hmm. So here I'm using this you know, vocabulary of maybe uh, 
there's a risk or there's something that right. might break down, etc. But in in from a mathematical perspective, what this really boils down to is more uh, something which is um, you know the the, the 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 stability of the solution. Basically, mm-hmm. you know, having having a little bit of uh, fuzzier things makes it make it a bit makes it a bit more stable. Having something that's really routing everyone to a just one and one location makes things a bit unstable. Mm-hmm. And so it makes my, me think of uh, if you're familiar with Nassim Taleb's anti-fragility. Yeah, exactly. You could think of this. So, okay. so we're going a bit away from basically my exact technical <laughs> contribution, but actually the idea is exactly that. Okay. And my my all my uh, part of my talk. So first, I explain this problem of moving around optimally things. Mm-hmm. This moving around optimally things helps you figure out whether two things are close, whether two distributions are close. If mm-hmm. there's a way, if there's a cheap way to move all the troops to all the front lines, then it means that the two distributions are very close. Okay. That, if you write down the equations, and this is why uh, Kantorovich got the Nobel Prize, this yields something called a linear program. Mm-hmm. It's one major, very important family of optimization problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way this was formalized 50 years ago was just linear programming. So let's do let's go for the cheapest possible mm-hmm. uh, distribution. Uh, now, what I was arguing a bit during the tutorial is that you might trade off a little bit of that optimality in terms of the cost and accept a little bit of fuzziness. And this makes things much better behave computationally mm-hmm. when you when you run all those algorithms. So uh, yeah, actually this uh, meaning <clears throat> meaning that introducing. The randomness not only yes. has these properties, um, these beneficial properties in kind of the physical world yes. with talking about troop movements, yes. but also introducing uh, probability and randomness yes. allows you to, gives you a more computationally efficient solution than solving the linear program? Yes. Like oh, one million times faster. Wow. Like in some relevant uh, dimensionalities. Let's say you have, let's say, 10,000 barracks. Uh-huh. 10,000 front lines and you want to compute this optimal transport. Right. Well, it turns out that if you use, if, you, if you're willing to take a little bit of fuzziness, mm-hmm. not that many, but just a little bit, okay. then it can actually, you can compute this, this, this transport in maybe, let's say, I don't, I, let's say one second, okay, for, for the sake okay. of the argument. Uh, but if you were to solve it with a linear program, that would be like 1 million times slower. Okay. Uh, Really, really much longer. And the other thing that's also very relevant, I think, in this NIPS conference is that computing transport with that little fuzziness, Mm -hmm. not so much, but just a little bit, allows you to compute everything on GPUs. Mm. So everything becomes a parallel, very embarrassingly parallel algorithm. Okay. And this is one of the also big sources of speed up. Whereas doing it the linear programming way, the way was, that was proposed in the 50s or 60s by such great names as George Danzig, people that invented, invented all those algorithms in mm-hmm. the 50s or 60s, those algorithms don't parallelize well on GPUs. Mm. And this is the main reason why we're trying to get a bit away from them and a bit more towards this, those algorithms that, by, because they include some fuzziness, a little bit mm-hmm. of fuzziness, for some reason, if you go down in the math, you observe that you can cast them as matrix products. And so okay. everything everything works well on GPU. Interesting. So if I want to push a bit the analogy, this field of optimal transport has been around for many years. Uh, I propose this little, uh, this, 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 to add this little fuzziness. And everything all of a sudden can be executed on GPUs. So it looks a bit like uh, someone that comes at a machine learning conference maybe 10 years ago. 
and says, oh, I have deep learning algorithms. Not only are they great, actually they run on <laughs> GPUs. And because they run on GPUs, they are going to get much better performance. Right. Because as we know, this was one of the main drivers of, a, of innovation for, for deep learning was the fact that they couldn't really well exploit GPUs. Okay. So that, that's... Uh, so then are you also applying optimal transport to machine learning problems yes, yes. or are, are you you know is this a, a method for doing better work with traditional types of problems that we think of as optimal transport so, or transport problems so yeah it's a very good it's a very good question so my my point of view right now is that so maybe i didn't stress this enough but what really optimal transport allows you to do is to compute the distance between uh, probability distributions and by this i mean let me just give you a very concrete example and this was actually uh, uh, presented at NIPS last year by another team. Um, so you have, suppose you want to compare two text documents. Mm -hmm. So a very standard approach is to, is to see those documents as bag of, bags of words, right? right? Just a long list of words and another long list of words. Right. Um, so it's a, I think it's a very relevant question to uh, say, how can we compute the distance between those two bags of words, mm -hmm. right? So there are a few approaches that exist. And one of them is using optimal transport. Okay. So basically what this optimal transport approach requires is that you're able to define a distance between pairs of words. Mm -hmm. So basically, if you can define a distance between pairs of words, optimal transport allows you to define a distance between histograms of words. It's like a meta distance. Okay. So you have the distance on just, uh, I don't know, the, the word cat is uh, that that meters away or miles away from the word, uh, let's say, dog, mm -hmm. and then very close to kitty, for instance, mm -hmm. if you can actually quantify that distance for every pair of words, mm -hmm. I will be able to come up with a distance that can quantify the distance between histograms of words, clouds okay. of words, point clouds, you know, all those mm -hmm. point clouds that we see very often. On, word on, clouds. On, yeah, word clouds. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the optimal trust allows you to compute that, that uh, uh, very rare, mm. uh, accurate distance between word clouds. And now what I'm trying to use is... Um, Suppose that my goal is not only to compute the distance between two things, but also to use that distance as what is called a loss function. Okay. Something that allows you to quantify whether your prediction kind of matches what you should observe. So mm -hmm. imagine you have, imagine, so this is another example that I was taking for an IPS paper two years ago. Imagine that your task is to predict uh, from an image a cloud of tags. Okay, so you just see an image, there's a tree, sun, bridge, uh, etc. Imagine now that you have a predictor that takes that image and mm -hmm. says that on that image, actually, it's a forest, there's sunlight, and there is a river. So as you can see, I've, I've managed to find a few tags that are somewhat overlapping the original tags that, you, that are the ground truth. But it would be really useful if I could accurately quantify how different those two histograms of words are. And mm. that's where optimal transport can be used. And so what I've shown in the, in the tutorial yesterday is that you can not only use optimal transport as a distance just to put a geometry on the space of histograms, mm -hmm. but you can use that as a loss in a learning algorithm. Hmm. So whenever, whenever I will... So very often, for instance, an algorithm just produces one um, a guess, one guess. Mm -hmm. Well, just think about a meta-algorithm that would not produce one guess, but... A histogram of guesses, mm -hmm. so probability distribution, some confidence, right, on on basically several possible guesses. Well, then it's useful to use optimal transport theory to compare those histograms of guesses instead of 
maybe you've heard about this Kullback Library divergence or other. Th those are th there is a very important uh, block um, in many machine learning algorithms, including deep learning algorithms, which mm -hmm. is this cross entropy loss okay. or Kullback Library loss. Okay. Well, this is another loss that that, if, that has been around for centuries to com compare to probability distributions. Basically, my my main agenda is to maybe remove that loss and replace it by this optimal transport loss. Okay. And is the primary, what are the advantages in doing so? You mentioned the computational advantage yeah. uh, with uh, our ability to do these in yeah. parallel. Is that something that you can't do with cross-entropy loss? No, no actually, it's a bit, it's, it's the other way around. Cross-entropy is very popular because it's very, very simple. It's mm -hmm. very, very easy to compute. Mm -hmm. But it uses very little information. Okay. In the sense that, imagine that you have two histograms of words, right? And I compute the cross entropy between them, or the, the, the Kullback Library divergence. Mm -hmm. uh, what that won't be able to detect is whether words are synonyms or not. In the sense that, mm -hmm. if, for instance, one of my histograms, the one that I want to predict as the word cat, and for some reason my machine predicted the word kitty, mm -hmm. in the cross entropy world, those will be two completely different coordinates. Mm -hmm. And there's no, there will, for there's him, no relative. There's no the, basically the the, the the cross entropy formula will just say, okay, cat appeared here in the in the ground truth. My guess was kitty, so I have put a zero on cat. Then you pay a price, and then on the other hand, the ground truth didn't have the word kitty, but I predicted it, so you also pay the price. Mm -hmm. You pay the price twice if you right, want. Right, right. Whereas this optimal transport loss allows you to say, oh, come on, actually, I the ground truth is cat, and the my prediction is kitty, but I know that cat and kitty are very close. I mean, mm -hmm. they're, they're almost the same. They're almost synonyms. So I'm paying a very small price because I'm able to somewhat transport the word cat onto the word kitty. And that's, that's, that's the main idea why this gives a loss, which is more flexible, if you want. Mm -hmm. Now, it sounds like in this case, uh, it's calling to mind like word embeddings and yes, word spaces. Exactly. And so do you need to do all exactly, that in exactly. order to use? So the, 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 the is thing that is, an alternative? Or are they complementary? No, so exactly. So basically, uh, so in those papers, uh, those, those people are called uh, word movers distance because this, the idea of the optimal transport has many names. It's called Wasserstein distance, earth movers distance. And so it was recently discovered by, uh, by this word, word movers distance, when it, where you're actually computing the distance between two point clouds of word embeddings. Okay. So you can imagine that one text is just a bunch of points in dimension 100. Mm -hmm. Those are the embedding, this is the embedding dimension of the words. And another point cloud is another text in dimension 100. Mm -hmm. And then you're trying to transport them optimally. And what you need to do to, to get there is a notion of distance between every pair of words. Right. So that's what the word embeddings right. gives us. So word embeddings are just the fuel for this. I mean, just the, the, the main ingredient that allows yeah. us to, to compute optimal transport. Okay, interesting. So there's a, an application in NLP. What are some yes. other machine learning applications? So we have, um, so let me just list you what the application where things really work very, very well. Okay. So the ones where it works really nicely is graphics. Okay. So it's a bit away from machine learning because graphics people are more, mostly concerned with low dimensional shapes. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've had a few successes, uh, you know, doing interpolations of shapes and, uh, I mean, there's the, there are, we have a few C-graph papers. In the, 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 okay. the, 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 and what, what are the specific examples? So one very specific, well, imagine that you have um, a probability distribution, which is a shape, mm -hmm. and another probability distribution that's a shape. Mm -hmm. What optimal transport allows you to do is to do interpolations between them, like morphing, without 
with very, very little assumptions on the data. So what mm-hmm. we've seen is that this can be used. So what's a, can you give me a more kind of concrete example of where you'd have these probabilistic shapes? Yeah, so I, 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 it's one of those cases where a picture actually is worth a thousand words, but we have those pictures in, 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 the, in the Seagraph papers where you would see, for instance, I don't know, a duck, like a, yeah. like a duck, like a, you know, the, the kids have in the bath that would gradually morph into some cow or any other shape. Okay. And then we can actually compute interpolations between um, tens of shapes. Uh, one another application oh, okay. in brain imaging, we can try to morph one brain into another without mm. making any assumption on actually the a parametric assumption on the shape of the brain, for instance. And so, so optimal... Transport uh, is, is very natural for, for that. I right, mean, right. So you've got your beginning yeah. distribution, your end distribution, yes. and now this allows you to compute intermediate exactly. states at any point Which are geometrically faithful, in. which makes right. sense geometrically. Because it's very easy to compute intermediate probability distributions. You just add one to the other, divide by two, right. but then you will probably get those weird effects. Yeah. Because optimal transport actually allows you to morph continuously from one to the other. Okay. And this this was discovered in the late nineties. For many years, we had no idea how to compute it because it was actually very very heavy. And those ideas that I told you about about adding a little bit of fuzziness, exploiting GPUs, mm-hmm. basically make it possible now. Mm. And so you can average not only two, but maybe let's say. 10, 20 brains and things like that. So that can mm. help you form templates. So this is, we had the, the uh, so the few, uh, those are the, the examples that are, that are actually visually a bit more striking. You know, okay. slow dimension, we can, we as humans right. can get a feel of what's going on. Uh, then the NLP applications, I think, are, are pretty exciting. And then there has been... The what applications? The NLP. The NLP, NLP application right. Dimension. And then we had, a, there's a lot of imaging also applications uh, with uh, distributions of colors, for instance. Like uh, image palettes, morphing mm-hmm. one image with a given palette, changing the palette of an image, for instance. Like mm. uh, I don't know, you want yeah, the palette is has the colors reminiscent of autumn, and you want them to be all of a sudden kind of bluish, etc. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of applications like this. But what we've seen in machine learning recently, and, and uh, which is pretty exciting, is more applications to uh, generative models. Mm-hmm. Those models, you know, that are able to uh, create images. Generative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there's been a few papers in, in, in the last year, actually, in just one year from now. Mm-hmm. And one of them is called the Wasserstein-GAN. It has attracted a lot of attention. We also tried to, to write a few papers in that line. So here, in that case, the, the, the story is as follows. You can see the distribution of natural images in the world, let's say, as a probability distribution of the space of all possible images, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If you think of an image as a three channels and 100 times 100 pixels, it's basically a, a vector of dimension 30,000. But there's very few, actually, in that space of dimension 30,000. There's not that many images that are natural in there, right? right. If, you, if, you, if you were to basically write a map of every image that can be natural, right. it would be very thin there, right? right? So the problem of generative model is to create a probabilistic model, something that can generate images that fall not too far from that manifold of natural images. Mm-hmm. And this is a statistically very, very messy problem. And so what you want to do is, imagine that I have a model that generates images. It will have its own manifold in that space of dimension 30,000. And then I collect data. That's another manifold in dimension 30,000. And so the point is, I want my manifold to look like the manifold of natural images, right? And I need to be able to say, how far I am, right? That's the whole point of you know doing gradient descent. 
It's quantifying how far my manifold is from the real manifold and trying to make that distance smaller and smaller. Right. And what people found out in just, just about one, two years ago is that many usual distances like cross entropy, you know, Kubak Leiber, etc., were not well suited for that problem because we are really talking about very degenerate manifolds. And what we use Kullback Leiber for is typically to compare Gaussians, for instance, or to compare things that are very smooth. Mm -hmm. And so when you have this problem of trying to quantify the distance between one manifold and another, optimal transport can be useful. Okay. And so there's been a lot of interest for that. So mm. this uh, Wasserstein GAN has, uh, has spurred a lot of, uh, a lot of papers. There's, there's many, many uh, tricks that people are trying to use to make this work because it's, it's computationally challenging. But then again, in the world of GANs, it's very difficult to measure performance. So right, right now everybody's a bit frustrated, but I think there's there's still a bit of progress that I mean, still progress that's being made now. Hmm. I haven't picked up on the frustration around <laughs> GANs as much <laughs> as the enthusiasm. Uh, well, if you talk to frustration people, specifically around the ability well, like, to measure performance. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. I mean, if you look at the papers, most of them end up being a collection of images that are being generated, uh-huh. and that that. That's not a very scientifically right, right, very correct very way of. Uh, yeah, you, know, you want some more uh, more objective measure of performance, but that in itself is already a big scientific problem, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to find a, a good measure of performance there. Okay, interesting. I really enjoyed learning about optimal transport. Any um, any final words or? Oh yeah, so so we we've we've written a small. I'm just doing it to to put some little advertisement for a survey that we've sure. written recently. So if you uh, go to optimal transport and just uh, one one word optimaltransport.github.io okay there's you will find the slides of the tutorial and you will find also a survey a 200 pages survey that I've written with a with my colleague Gabriel Perret okay interesting and is there um uh, in terms of you mentioned GitHub and I'm thinking yes. implementation yes, is yes, the yes, code yes. available yes uh, yes of course yes okay. there's code yeah okay the good thing is that uh, as I was telling you earlier, all of this um, eventually is actually very simple to code. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, 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 I wish I could tell you we have really a great toolbox that, uh, uh-huh. but actually, if you really look a bit at the papers, it's just the code is just a few lines. It's just okay. it's just to, to to basically put that loss, this magic optimal transport loss in your learning problem, just requires you writing maybe a while loop and three lines in the while loop. Okay. So, so it's more, well, I mean, this right up your alley. It's more about the math yes, that yes. gave you those three lines exactly. than the There's three no lines much themselves. Involved, yes. Okay, awesome. Well, Marco, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to chat with me. Thank you so much. It was really a pleasure. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. For more information on Marco or any of the topics covered in this episode, head on over to twimlai.com slash talk slash 131. And of course, thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.